Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane, One thing that we can promise is that our conversation will be less than fascinating so that you can just relax, drift off, catch some Z's. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. Rate us on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano. And joining me in the studio is a dear friend, Daniel Krolik. Daniel, welcome. Hey, Marco. Daniel, I'm excited to have you because when we first started podcasting, you were one of the people I asked for advice because you also do a podcast. I do. I do. Tell me about your podcast. Uh, It's called BGM, which stands for both Bad Gay Movies and Bitchy Gay Men. Oh, yeah. So tell me about it. What what goes on on this podcast? Well, there's uh, three of us. There's myself, uh, Bill Antonio, and Michael Soulard. And every episode, we've been doing this for about f- nearly four years. Wow! Congratulations. Which is Thanks. Uh, You're one of the co-hosts with these other two gentlemen. Exactly. And every episode, we pick a movie from the very extensive gay cinema oeuvre. Okay. If you ever type in just gay movies on Netflix, you'll sort of get a really good idea of what we have to pick from. And we just start at the beginning and we pick it apart scene by scene, bit by bit. What doesn't work? What is ridiculous? What in no way resembles real life? Okay. And then at the very end of each episode, we give a recommendation. Oh, great. So we recommend to our listeners... Whatever has left a recent impression on us. So books, movies, a song, a television show, a restaurant, uh, whatever sort of has left a good impression on us since we recorded last. Fantastic. And you can find those episodes of the podcast on badgaymovies.com or go to iTunes, type in BGM or Bad Gay Movies, or Bitchy Gay Men, and you will find it. And we'll come up. There you go. Daniel, thank you for being here today. I'm so happy to be here. I wanted to talk to you because, as I said, you were one of the first people I said, listen, I'm thinking of doing a podcast, and you gave me some advice, and you recommended I speak to Bill, 
and hence this podcast has been on for almost a year now. We're almost at 100 episodes. And I want, this is actually episode 83, Daniel, so thank you for being... This is exciting. I think 100 used to be like the magic number for syndication right. for, for TV shows. Sure. I think if they hit 100 episodes, the TV show would then go into syndication. So, What's your favorite television show? Oh, goodness. One that's in syndication that's no longer on the air. Well, I mean, you know this about me, is that my favorite television show growing up was The Facts of Life. Okay, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And you have yet to work with someone who is a performer on Facts of Life. I mean, sadly, this is true. Right. Um, but I like to think that there, I'm, I must be only one or two degrees oh, I'm removed sure. from a Charlotte Ray right. or a Lisa Welchel, for of, example. Of those performers, who would be the person you would most like to do a scene opposite? Mm, if, it's, if a tough, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, and... As much as I love Mindy Cohn, and you know how much I love Natalie Green, sure. um, it's going to have to be Charlotte Ray, oh. who's uh, she's approaching ninety if she's not wow. there already. Okay. She's still going. She'll still pop up in the odd cameo and sure. in something here or there. Uh, she recently played Meryl Streep's mother-in-law. Oh, in uh, do you remember that movie Ricky and the Flash? I think it was last year. Oh no, I don't. Where Meryl Streep was was like a, a she fronted a, a rock band oh, that yes. played dive bars. Okay, and Kevin Klein was her ex. Kevin Klein, that's right. Yeah, and there was a wedding scene at the end of the movie, and Charlotte Ray popped in as a as Kevin Klein's mother. How amazing is that? So yeah, I think it would I think it would have to be her. I think you'd be excellent opposite her. Oh I will say God, that. a girl can dream. <laughs> Daniel, I wanted to talk to you about plays because of all my friends when we talk about plays and playwrights in particular american playwrights or things that are going on on broadway mm -hmm. you're the encyclopedia you're the one who knows you're the one i always go to <laughs> so that's just that's also to say i don't know much but i'm always wildly impressed mm -hmm. by your knowledge so i'm going to share this with our listeners let's start with american plays sure. and american playwrights what makes them different than other playwrights and what's distinct about them? I think that plays are, uh, they can be a representation of whatever is going on in that playwright's nation's history. Um, hence, that's why British plays are all about class. Okay. British plays, especially from the mid-20th century, they're always about class struggles, class distinctions, getting out of the working class. Um, and America in the 20th century has had such a tumultuous history right. um, with economic struggles, racial struggles, class struggles, gender struggles. Um, so I think American plays in particular really appeal to me um, because really good American plays are representative of all the terrible and difficult things that the country itself has gone through. Sure. Who is someone that has come out in the last, say, five years that you're like, this is someone to watch, or this is his or her plays are just mm. yeah, there's, has impressed you? There's certainly a few. Uh, I'm probably going to say Stephen Karam, okay. who just won the Tony Award this past year for his play The Humans, okay. which I was fortunate enough to see when it was off-Broadway before it moved to Broadway. Oh, wow. Um, and it's one of the few plays that I've seen that gave me nightmares really? because it was so powerful and it was so impactful. So when you saw it off-Broadway, 
-hmm. did you immediately think this is going to go on Broadway? Or not necessarily because there weren't, there weren't any major stars in it. Okay. There weren't any people that were immediately recognizable from a TV show or from a movie, which is sometimes an indicator. Um, and there's plenty of regional shows, plenty of off-Broadway shows that are really well-received that can garner an award or two, sure. but that won't make a commercial transfer. So it's not, it's never really an indication. Um, and I had previously seen a play of Karim's off-Broadway, maybe 2011, 2012. Okay. Um, that I had absolutely loved, uh, that got amazing reviews. It was nominated. It was shortlisted for the Pulitzer, and it didn't move. It was rumored oh, really? to move, and it didn't move. And what was that so, play called? Sons of the Prophet. Sons of the Prophet. Which um, is number one on my fantasy list of, of things that I would love to do here in Toronto. I, I see. And what is it about Stephen's work that really speaks to you, or that you think is important in today's age? His shows are issue-based without hammering home an issue. Oh, I see. So The Humans, for example, it it takes place on a Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. at the the apartment of the daughter, the younger daughter of, of this family, has just moved into this duplex in Chinatown in New York that's potentially haunted, okay. that's falling apart, that potentially has some weird yeah. history. It's sort of when I described it, uh, when I describe it to friends, I sort of say it might be a ghost story. Okay. You don't, you don't even know for sure. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it's also a, a show that deals with the new economy and uh. that deals with a family trying to get by in post recession America wow. w- without and it's sort of those issues, the the economic issues that this family is facing, they're, they're woven into the fabric. So it's not a show about this issue, which is that Americans can't get by, they can't right. put food on the plate, they can't pay their rent, but it's sort of woven into the the fabric of the story without it having to be to be this red button this, issue. I see. And he does that also, and Stephen Karam is also a gay playwright, and he writes his... Uh, he writes his gay characters, the sister and the humans. The older sister is gay. Um, and it's so... Wait, wait a second. The, the play is called The Sister and the Humans? No, no, no. I'm sorry. sorry. The yeah. the character in is the humans, oh, sorry. Is the, the older sister, sister okay. is gay. Um, and it's just sort of so naturally, so subtly woven into the story right. that it... It, it feels so natural. I see. So he puts he puts in all of these things that are on the table that people are having these major debates about, um, without, and and it makes it feel so natural. And it, it does it never feels like a public service announcement. Wow. It feels so intrinsic. So interesting. You talk about um, Stephen Karam, is it? Karam. Yep. Uh, and now I want to see his plays. And you do that often. You'll talk <laughs> about a playwright, and after you talk about them and their work it often makes me want to go run out and either buy the play or go see the play so steven if you're listening you've got uh, (laughs) at the very least a great publicist sitting in front of me what about other playwrights um of note that you're like i like this person's work or like you should like you who could you tell our public to go and see you like you won't be disappointed if you see this playwright's Oh, I mean, there's, there's so many. When I first, I know I ask the impossible question no, no, for no. someone who's a, a, I can, a lover. I, I can narrow it down, but I mean, I can talk about 
the things that I was first attracted sure. to because when I when I first started getting interested, uh, my my gateway was musicals. Mm-hmm. So what initially attracted me to the theater were musicals. But when I started branching out from that, and when I started uh, seeking out plays as opposed to musicals, I would uh, read them. And the first authors that I was, and this is maybe circa early 90s, so 93, 94, around there. Uh, I read a lot of John Guare, okay. the the gentleman who wrote Six Degrees of Separation, oh, which is great. very well known. Yeah. Um, that actually might have been the first play that I read. Mm-hmm. The first play that I went to, I remember this very vividly, uh, buying at a bookstore okay. and reading cover to cover. That might have been the first play that I had done that with. And I was just spellbound. What did you think of the film adaptation of it? I haven't seen it in many oh, years. Because that was with Will Smith Stalker and... Channing. Oh, yeah. The great, who was the only one to recreate uh, her work from the stage. Oh, so she did yeah. She did it on stage. Yeah, yeah. And um, Donald Sutherland, I Donald believe. Donald Sutherland. Right? Uh, Mary Beth Hurd in a small role. Okay. Will Smith was phenomenal in right. that movie. He was so good. Uh, I had only seen the film. That's why I asked. And I thought the, I thought the film was fantastic. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if... Uh, the big difference... Mm-hmm. And again, I haven't seen the film since it came out. Right, which was but many the, years The ago. big difference, if I recall correctly, was that in, in the stage version, the, the main couple, Flan and Weeza, addressed the audience directly. And it was very nicely transitioned in the movie to them talking to all of their friends at the country club, at right. the brunches, at a dinner party, whatever, and them telling all of their friends in New York society the story of how they encountered uh, the hustler, who was played by Will Smith. Oh, there you go. You mentioned Stalker Channing. Yeah. Um, who are the actors, male or female, mm-hmm. that you love to see on stage? I would imagine she would be one of them. I've seen her twice. Okay. And? She's she's terrific, right. and she does. Great actors do so much by doing so little. You know this, right? Um, and Stalker Channing is is very capable of destroying somebody in a scene, killing an audience mm-hmm. uh, with very little effort, right? With 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 great technique and great thought, but very little effort, which I love to watch. And what did you see her in? Uh, I saw her once in Pal Joey, which was a musical. Okay. Uh, where she played the older woman seduced by a gigolo. I'm just going to say this now, Daniel. This, yeah. <laughs> I, we're already halfway through this podcast, and I'm going to have to do a second podcast that just deals with musicals with you, okay? Because I feel like we're going to just stick to plays, That's and cool. then we're going to do a music That's because cool. your your knowledge is so vast when it comes to the theater oh, that you. I'm I'm really excited by doing a part two with you. So. Pal Joey, and what was the other thing you saw? Uh, it was a John Robin Bates play called Other Desert Cities. Other Desert Cities, uh, which had a phenomenal cast. It was uh, Stalker Channing, mm. Judith Light. Oh, you saw Judith Light. Yeah. I was actually going to bring her up. Oh, she's my favorite. You know, it's interesting, Daniel. Like, and I'm sorry to pause you there, no, no, Judith no. Light, but we'll get back to. It's interesting. There's not enough time in the world to talk about Judith Light. We should just do a podcast on Judith Light, but. Here's someone who most people recognize from a schmaltzy television show back in the 90s. For sure. Um, who's the boss she For played? Sure. She played... Um, Angela Bauer. Oh, thank you. And... Uh, Businesswoman. She was and uh, um, she, she is this force, not only on stage, mm-hmm. but I think because of her stage work, now in the films, the films and television we see her in, which is much more gritty and much more... Um, 
I don't know, has teeth to it. I don't yeah. know how else to describe it. But tell me about her and why you why you why you think she's great. And again, it's I find her career fascinating mm-hmm. because she had such fame as the the lead of this very schmaltzy, very sticky sitcom in, right. in the mid eighties. Uh, and then a few years later, she just totally reinvented herself as this terrific theater actress. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, uh, do you know the play Wit? About, uh, the, heard of about the professor who has terminal cancer? And she shaved her head for yeah, this yeah, role? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So she... Um, I only know it because we've discussed this before and you told me about it. Yeah, That's well, why. it was also a movie with Emma Thompson. Okay. Uh, Emma Thompson did the movie version of it. Um, and it's this very serious play. And I think... Not too long, maybe after uh, Who's the Boss ended, she did a production of Wit, and mm-hmm. there was, I wouldn't say a backlash, but there was a lot of snickering going on at the time, being like, oh, ha- why is this sitcom star doing this doing this play? Right. Um, and from what I understand, she just killed it. Right. She just destroyed it. And then from there, she started, she had this shift in her career and she was, you know, she was a middle-aged woman at the time for sure. sure. But it was this amazing second act of of her career where she became this very, very respected performer. Isn't that also, can that not also be said about Linda Lavin, who used to do... I love Linda Lavin. Okay. Yeah. Because she, she used to be once again in the, I want to say late 70s, early 80s, a schmaltzy television sitcom mm-hmm. called Alice, Alice where yeah. she played a waitress in Arizona. And then she went on to do, and she was sort of typecast as that or played that. And then we didn't see much of her other than, let's say, The Love Boat or something <laughs> like that. And then she did some things on Broadway. And now we're seeing her in some decent roles in film. Yeah, well, I think she did the sister, the sisters Rosenzweig. The sisters Rosenzweig in the in the nineties, where she, God, I know so much. <laughs> where she uh, she replaced Madeline Kahn. Oh, she, she did. I Madeline didn't realize Kahn. that. Yeah. Um, um, but she, uh, I think she was always the type of actress uh, who, and I think Alice, which I, which is just a little bit before mm-hmm. my time. Fair. Um, I think it ran for something like. 10 years or it, it ran for a long it time. It did r- run for a long yeah. time. They had, oh, so um, I don't know if you know this actor. Her name is Polly Holiday. Of course and I she do. played Marco. Flo, sorry. Yeah. She played Flo <laughs> and her catchphrase was kiss my grits. And I, I remember, remember as a small child, you know, when these catchphrases are in the public consciousness and what as you're kid, talking about Willis yeah, or yeah. Uh, sit on it or a yeah. by Fonzie. And as a kid, you just hear them, but you don't know exactly what they mean, but they're just in the, so mm-hmm. I always remember Kiss My Grits was one of the things that she said. And she was replaced by a couple of actors. Because um, I think... I Diane think, but, Ladd for a season. Was it Diane Ladd? For one year. Okay. Yeah. Another phenomenal actor. But um, I don't know why I went, went on. It's okay. But anyways, she... Yeah, she had done it for years. And they replaced one one character that continually yep. replaced. Um, and what's her name from... Um, Cagney and Lacey is also a fan. Tyne Daly. Yeah. I hear that she's... I've never seen her on stage. Phenomenal. I've never been fortunate. Linda Lavin I saw when I was very young. I'm sure I was maybe eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing her in Broadway Bound, the Neil Simon play. Okay. Uh, which was, uh, Neil Simon wrote a trilogy of plays, Brighton Beach Memoirs, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you know. Yes. It was a very well-respected movie. Um, that movie has, it's a good movie, but it has a glaring uh, instance of Blythe Danner. Okay. Who's a terrific actress right. playing a Jewish mother. I see. And there's nothing <laughs> Jewish, Jewish about, about Blythe Danner. <laughs> okay. 
Um, but uh, there's anyway, it's a trilogy of plays. Uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs, Biloxi Blues, which right. was also a movie, movie that um, Matthew Broderick. Thank you. And then Broadway Bound. Okay. Which is uh, which sort of uh, because it's about these two brothers growing up, and it's it, it ends with the brothers sort of becoming adults and leaving the house and moving to New York and becoming writers. Um, but she she had a big per- Linda Lavin had a big personal success as the mother in Broadway Bound. I see, and. I mean, okay, so we've talked about a bunch of female actors. What, yeah. what are some male actors on stage that you've seen or that you just would love to see who you think just tear it up? I mean, if I could go back in time mm-hmm. and see Philip Seymour Hoffman in Death of a Salesman. Okay. That that was one of... When, when he died, that was um, one of the few times that I cried over a celebrity's death that right. I really felt robbed of 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 somebody leaving us very soon. I see. And I know that 2016 was the year of all of these important right figures, uh, pop culture figures dying. Uh, but when Philip Hoffman, when Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, passed away, I think it was 2014. Right. Um, I felt it, it robbed. left a hole. I felt yeah. really, really robbed. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, because he was one of. Oh God. Yeah. So it'd be him. I saw. Oh my goodness, Daniel! You're gonna have to help me. He he um, is this Irish actor, and he's been on Broadway, and he did a one-person Macbeth, and he's on oh Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming. He's Scottish. Stuff. Oh, sorry. Yeah. He's Scottish. Sorry. Uh, thank you. And he was phenomenal. I'm sure was I'm phenomenal sure. in that. And um, you know, it's interesting because you go there and you're gonna see a public figure that people know, and you're like, hmm. Let's see what they can do, right? Mm-hmm. And then when they actually deliver, and you're like, yeah, these people sort of like the theaters in their blood, and you can see them sort of deliver performances that yeah. you don't expect. I remember seeing him as the MC in Cabaret. Oh, you saw that. That yeah. was sort of what catapulted him, right, into mm-hmm. the public consciousness, Absolutely. at least in North America, right? And his performance in The Good Wife is so remarkable mm-hmm. um, because he's convincing as an American, right? He's convincing as a straight man, mm-hmm. and he's convincing as a Jew. Oh wow! So it's just this trifecta, and he's he just disappears into this role that is nothing like him. That is okay. nothing like his public persona. It's it's, I think it's quite remarkable. Oh, I've got to watch. I haven't I haven't watched The Good Wife, and everyone tells me I would really yeah, enjoy it. It's 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 smart TV, and they're doing a a spinoff with one of my favorite actors, Christine Baranski. Uh, yeah, who yeah. I think she's done a lot in the theater as well. She did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody who I've never seen, but who I would also love to see. Mm-hmm. Now, I did a play by David Lindsay Abair, mm-hmm. and this was a few years I back. Saw, I saw that, The Rabbit Hole. The Rabbit Hole. Yep. And I can only say this, that... And then I saw uh, Good People, uh, another play that he wrote. Oh, where did you see it? I saw it in... Um, oh, where did I see it? I saw it in Vancouver, I believe. But I had read the play because yeah. uh, after I did Rabbit Hole, his words, when you read them on the page and when you actually say them aloud as an actor, are just perfect. There's no wasted word. There's no word that's too much. All the words flow off the page out of your mouth and really help you delve into the character. And if you're working with a script like that, Mm -hmm. as an actor, you really don't have to do that much. You really just have to um, work on understanding and work on delivering. It it makes your job as an actor very easy. You know what's interesting, Daniel? You should say that. And the way I noticed it was it was easy to memorize. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't find it difficult to memorize. Yeah. It came to me much in the manner that it was written. So I'm a huge fan of his and it was because of Rabbit Hole that I then sought out 
Good People. Yeah. And I have very... not. I'm not familiar with Good People, okay. unfortunately. You would really like it. I know. You would I really know. like it because it, it takes place in in, in Boston. In Boston, yeah. right? And uh, what about um, Noel Coward? Um, I don't. I'm I'm not as familiar with Noel Coward as I would like to be. Okay. I've seen Private Lives a couple of times. Okay. I um, know nothing other than his name comes up mm-hmm. often. What is it about his work that people? <laughs> I'm I'm certainly not an expert. Okay. Uh, but from my which which I'm I, I'm a little bit embarrassed about, frankly. Oh. That that I should I I feel like he's somebody that I should uh, know much better than I do. Um, it's it's he was one of the great wits okay. of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. I think. And people often talk about David Mamet. Mm-hmm. What are your impressions of his work? He certainly left an impression on me when I was oh, yeah. uh, around the same time when I discovered non-musicals, when I discovered plays. Uh, I read Glengarry Glen Ross mm-hmm. and I read American Buffalo. Um, so he certainly left an impression on me. I quite love one of his lesser known plays that I really do like is called The Old Neighborhood. Okay. Just writing that down. Yeah, for sure. More because I want to see. I want to see it, Daniel. Oftentimes, when you say "go see a play," I will go see it. <laughs> now, you mentioned a couple of times about actors playing Jewish roles, mm-hmm. and I know that that's a really important aspect of your being. Absolutely, being Jewish. Yeah. What are some plays that have Jewish themes that you would recommend people who aren't Jewish should go see? Oh, because um, I feel like I feel like oftentimes there's there's plays out there that. Are very important, mm-hmm. but they'll bring out a certain demographic where it'd be great if everyone knew this is not only a great play that has a particular theme, whether it be a Jewish theme, whether it be a gay or lesbian theme, whether whether it be even a Canadian theme. Yeah. But it's something that any audience can appreciate. Well, well, Jews Jews have a long history of working in the theater, supporting the theater. Mm-hmm. So, so the the category of Jewish centric theater is sure. it's a it's a big one. Um, I mean, I think I will always think Angels in America is is Which I saw. one of the greatest works of not just the of all time right. of all time. I think it's you know in my mind it's 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 on par with with a Shakespeare or sure. with anything like it's just and um, Angels in America is about three billion important things. It's not just about right. the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. It's not just about para, uh, Glasnost and mm-hmm. the Russians. It's it's about three billion important things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it confronts what it means to be Jewish and the challenges of Judaism in such a um, combustible way. Right. That makes it really exciting. Because sorry, so no, please. Uh, and Lewis, which is oh my god, if I could, if I could think about the people that I want to be on stage, Lewis is number one. Mm-hmm. Um, the the character is of a lapsed Jew who's constantly struggling with what it means to be Jewish and what right. it means to be a good Jew. When I saw Angels in America, I found it so relevant because it feels like it transcends times. And what I'm trying to say is that it takes place in a certain time period, but when you watch it, it's so relevant to the time period oh, that yeah. you're in, yeah. right? Which yeah. makes it timeless in a way. Um, and I know there's a part one and a part two. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, how was the film adaptation of that? It's wonderful. Oh, is it? It's great. Okay. Very faithful. Oh. Um, and they even they even adhere to most of the doubling mm-hmm. because uh, for those of you who 
might not know Angels in America, it's written for eight actors, mm-hmm. I think, but they play a multitude of roles. So everybody, men are playing women, right. uh, young people. I'm sorry, I'm gesturing sure. too much. Men are playing women, young people are playing old people. So uh, sort of the 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 tracks in the show uh, cross. Uh, gender lines, Mm -hmm. age lines, type lines. Um, And the movie is quite, I have to commend the late Mike Nichols who did the movie because he adheres to a lot of that. Like the movie opens with Meryl Streep playing the rabbi in drag, in full, Mm -hmm. in full rabbi drag. Um, And it's Emma Thompson plays Mm -hmm. a crazy homeless woman. So it has, it has all of these uh, cool, super theatrical quirks from the stage version. It's great. Daniel, thank you. And between yourself being Jewish and me being Italian, (laughs) for our listeners, it's all gesticulation all the time. It's all gesticulation all the time. And I'm so impressed with both of us for remaining so quiet for so long. Trying to. Like, I I often tell Daniel, I'm like, you'll see me, or I I often, I I told you before we started the podcast, I'll drop a pencil, I'll bang a glass, I'll be moving around. Try not to do what I do. But, Daniel, I want to thank you so much. Stay tuned for part two with Daniel Krolik, where we talk about musicals. We've just sort of <laughs> scratched the surface of plays and playwrights. I feel like I I didn't have a good sort of... I feel like I haven't even talked about I know, anything I yet. I feel like we kind of like, you know, I oh, wish I would... You know what? Talking about Jewish playwrights, and you actually brought it up, Okay, is uh, Wendy Wasserstein's The Sisters Rosenzweig, okay. uh, which Linda Lavin did in... The, the Much Miss Madeline Condit, mm-hmm. which is another really good play about uh, Jewish identity and people struggling to find, uh, secular Jews struggling to find a Jewish identity. Okay, Daniel, so, so when yeah. that comes to town, promise me that you and I will go see it. We'll be in the front row, Mark. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Daniel Krolik, for being a part of this thank particular you. show. As always, The Insomnia Project is produced by Drumcast Productions, and this episode was recorded in Toronto, Canada.